0: Hey everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, May 27th. Time for episode 352 of Patriots Speed on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. Welcoming back Evan Lazar covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNS Media. Follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. And Evan, you also have your own podcast still, The All-22. How's that going?
1: It's going well. You know, we did a lot of draft stuff, obviously, draft recaps, that kind of stuff. Last week, we covered the undrafted free agents. So you can go ahead and check that out. And uh, you know us. We talk for about an hour just talking straight football.
0: Is that hard to do in the off season? I mean, you know, during the regular season, you have not only the NFL game, but you have the college game and you have Lots of ways you can go with breaking down tape, uh, whether you're breaking down the Patriots' upcoming opponent or you're looking at a prospect who's rising up the charts quickly um, and should be somebody to keep an eye out on in April. Is it different now?
1: Absolutely. I think the fun part about it for me is that you can do a little bit more longer or or bigger projects and kind of think a little bit more outside the box or or get a little bit more, get a little bit deeper into the film because, you know, during the season, it's, it's a quick turnaround, right? You know, you have one week and the next week and the next week. So you can't really sit there and grind the film for 10 hours, you know, during the regular season. But during the off season, you have the opportunity to kind of, you know, take a project on and do a couple of days worth of film study and really dig into something, a topic and then write a really good piece off of it. So it's a little bit different. There's definitely less to talk about, but you can sink your teeth in a little bit more.
0: I want to move on to something else uh, now, Evan, uh, how impressed were you with Tom Brady's golf game?
1: Not very in the beginning, but in no. true Tom Brady fashion, he turned it on a little bit late. I mean, I think it's just, it was a lot more fun than I was expecting. I think everyone's kind of having that takeaway. And to me, It was great to see Brady out there. It was great to see the foursome that they had. I would love it every week. You know, let's get new athletes in there. Let's swap Brady and Manning out, and you know, let's get you know Jordan and and Bird next, or whatever combination you want to go with. You know, and uh, I think that they could really make a lot of money for charity as they did, and that's a great thing for coronavirus research. I think it was over twenty million dollars that they raked in from it. So that's fantastic. We also got you know to see Peyton Manning and Brady go back and forth a little little bit to bring back some of those memories so all around it was a really good product I thought
0: Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady teamed together against Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning and for once Tom Brady didn't beat Tiger Woods when (laughs) Tom Brady didn't beat Peyton Manning when it mattered Um, I was a little bit surprised at that but uh, the highlight to me had to be Brady holding in the shot uh, on 11 and shutting up Charles Barkley that that was priceless
1: that was, I mean, that's like what the stories that you hear about Brady, right? There's yes. the people come in, they talk a lot of smack, and <laughs> he just closes the door on them. I mean, there's a lot of really great stories out there about Brady playing ping pong, Brady beer chugging, you know, all this kind of stuff where he's throwing paddles at people and screaming at people for when he loses. And just to kind of see Brady's sort of, you know, competitive side come out, I think there, no one... Would really challenge any of those four guys in a competition contest besides maybe Michael Jordan, so you know those guys are as competitive as it gets, and it was it was really cool to see that
0: again it was the uh, the match uh, it was called Champions for Charity, as uh, Evan just uh, pointed out, twenty million dollars over twenty million dollars. Um, in funds raised uh, for coronavirus uh, research. It was played at the Medalist uh, in Hobie Sound, Florida. Uh, You know, one thing that stuck out to me about the um, televised event on TBS um, was, and I don't know if we're going to see this uh, as sports come back here in uh, the summer and eventually in the fall, if there are no fans you're going to hear announcers going absolutely apeshit and trying to create their own drama uh, over the over the play. And, and that concerns me.
1: Yeah, I think to me, the best sort of formula for this no-fan sports arena is in terms of the broadcast is probably to mic up the players a little bit more and get a little bit more of the on-field action, right? If yeah, to let the players... that almost do the broadcast for them. The other thing I've heard floated out there a couple of times that I really like is actually having the players, since they're going to most likely be in some sort of a bubble with their families, having their families kind of like Little League style as the people in the stands during the games. Now, obviously, it wouldn't be a full stadium, but it'd be really cool to kind of see, you know, mom and dad or uh, wife and kids kind of in the stands and being more of involved sort of with the broadcast. So I think those are the two ways to go about it. Now, I think Bill Belichick will kind of to have a bird if they try to mic up his players and leak any information that might be, you know, sensitive or proprietary to their, what they're doing on the field. But I think it would be really awesome to kind of open up sort of a behind the scenes look and use this as an opportunity to kind of expand players and, and sort of get into the nitty gritty of what's actually going on on the field.
0: Funny. You mentioned Bill Belichick speaking with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots and the NFL for seal on us media. Coach of the Year odds are out, and wouldn't you know it, the two head coaches at the center of the Tom Brady offseason transition from New England to Tampa Bay are at the top of the list according to uh, betonline.ag, and uh, it's actually, to me, a fascinating list. The two top coaches, Evan, are 12-1. to That would be Bill Belichick and Bruce Arians of Tampa Bay. Mm
1: Well, two very different situations, very different reasons, right? Arians is going to need to have like a 14-2, and 12-3, 13-3 uh, type season to be in that conversation, right? The, the Bucks are just going to have to absolutely blow the doors off the league to have that kind of conversation with Arians with the talent that they have down there in Tampa. But I also think that Belichick, this is the perfect opportunity for him to really showcase what he's all about and and, and really kind of, make this sort of like a college program here in New England where it doesn't really matter what quarterback Ohio State has. They're a top five team every single year because they're Ohio State, right? And I think that the Patriots can have sort of a similar culture, a program, sort of a structure about them where they can – Sort of make this transition a little bit easier than certain other teams that weren't just transitioning from one great quarterback to the next because they had the number one pick, or they were the Green Bay Packers and they got handed in Aaron Rodgers on a you know silver platter. The Patriots didn't have that happen to them, so I'm really interested to see if if Belichick can really make this like in Alabama, like in Ohio State, like in LSU, where it's just every couple of years you're just kind of bringing in new guys and new faces and the thing doesn't miss a beat. Can we see that happen in the pro level? Level, I think the Patriots are kind of going for that sort of model.
0: Okay. I got to disagree with you vehemently, uh, Evan. Okay. And I don't often do this. The like reason it. Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, uh, any of those programs really at the top of the heap, even Oklahoma, uh, programs like that, the reason they go – Ten and one, or 10, you know, ten and two, eleven and one, twelve and zero. Every single year is there's only really about two to three teams on their schedule that gives them any kind of competition whatsoever, and the talent level, um, the depth of talent on the elite programs, are infinitely better than. Most of the other programs in their respective conferences combined. That's why, uh, with maybe the exception of the SEC, I'll give you that. Um, certainly when LSU and Alabama square off or when, um, LSU and Auburn or, you know, you can name any one of a couple of Teams at the top of those power five conferences, when they square off, okay, you're going to get a competitive game. Otherwise, the talent level drops off significantly and you don't have that kind of depth. Whereas in the NFL, you, every single team the Patriots go up against will have elite talent and roughly the same amount, of – and roughly the same, in, in, number of playmakers on their roster, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. You see where I'm going with this argument, right?
1: I do. No, this is exactly, this is the argument, and this is why this hasn't really been that way at the NFL level, is because the talent is pretty even throughout the entire league. There really isn't a ton separating all these teams besides a great quarterback, a great coach, you know, things like that. There are teams though in the NFL, in the history of the league, that have transitioned from coaching staffs, from quarterbacks and really have stayed relevant throughout their entire kind of history as an organization, you know, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, for instance, who were great in the seventies and they're great now, or a team like the Dallas Cowboys have always not necessarily won Super Bowls, but they've always been relevant. Right. Uh, the Niners I think are another team that have had some bad years maybe recently, but are right. now back on top and have had that history with Montana and Steve Young. And then they kind of, you know, go back and forth. So I, I, I think that there is a way to do it. And it starts at the top with Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick of this sort of organizational structure where you just kind of, you know, you're going to have the talent, you know, you're going to have the athletes. It's really about cultivating that together and building a program. And, you know, Bill Belichick is one of those guys that talks about it takes years to build that. And and he really feels like a lot of head coaches around the league get shafted, quite frankly, because they get fired within – you know, one or two years of getting There's the no job, question
0: about that. And they All
1: never right. really get an opportunity to build something or build their program. So the Patriots make no mistake about it. Like the, the talent is definitely is what it is. And I agree with your argument, but they have a program, you know, they have a culture and they have a set sort of standard here in new England, Brady or not. And I think that's sort of what they're trying to feed off of to make this transition.
0: A couple of other names uh, on here that kind of stick out to me. Mike McCarthy of Dallas is next in line at fourteen to one. That surprises me a little bit. Um, Mr. I guess slant he slant
1: flat himself.
0: What's That's
1: that? Slant flat. That's all the Packers ran under him: There's a slant route and a flat route by the running back or by the inside receiver. they ran that play more than any team in the league.
0: Uh, Frank Reich of Indianapolis at sixteen to one. Andy Reid of the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. He's eighteen to one. As is Kevin Stefanski of the Browns, Cliff Kingsbury of the Arizona Cardinals, uh, and Sean McDermott, uh, obviously, of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Mike Vrabel on this list at 22-1 to 1 surprises me because he's that far down. You would expect um, Mike Vrabel and the guy just below him on this list, Brian Flores of the Dolphins. I would expect Vrabel to be higher. I would expect Flores to have been lower.
1: I think what Mike Vrabel did in the playoffs last year was exceptional coaching. I mean, to knock out the Patriots and the Ravens and get Ryan Tannehill and that team to the AFC Championship game and actually have a lead in Kansas City in the AFC title game. Now, I know they didn't hold on and and they didn't make the Super Bowl, but that was a heck of a coaching job. And you really look at what Vrabel did, especially in that wild card round, since we're more familiar with that, He was Bill Belichick. He out-Belichick Belichick. Belichick. You know, he won the matchup game. He won the game plan specific wrinkle aspect of the game. He knew offensively that the Patriots were not going to let them throw the ball. They weren't going to let them thrive off of play action. So they decided to play a game that was a little bit slower, that was a little bit more ground and pound, and just accept the fact that they were probably going to win the game 17 to 10. You know, and I think that was a beautifully designed game plan. Also, schematically, attacking the weak points in the Patriots defense in the front seven, you know, Dietrich Wise, Adam Butler, those guys against the run. That's what Belichick used to do or does do is, you know, he looks at the other team and he says, who's the weak link? You know, who's the guy that we can pick on? And we're going to go after that guy. And that's exactly what the Titans did. So I think that Frabel should be much higher on this list, quite frankly, because
2: I they're
1: still in a position with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback where, yeah, he was great last year for them in the regular season. One of the best quarterbacks in the league by some statistical measures. But at the same time, he's still Ryan Tannehill. And this thing, I, I still think that he's more the guy that he was in Miami than the guy that we saw down the stretch last year for the Titans. And if they can get back into the playoffs and have a good seating and a good spot in the regular season, I think that variable is a really good choice.
0: I, I still think Bill Belichick is the favorite to win just because uh, if – Somehow he gets the Patriots back to the playoffs and wins the AFC East again um, without Tom Brady and it's with, for all intents and purposes, a rookie quarterback and Jared Stidham. Um, it's going to go to him by default. I almost feel that w- without question, unless the defense is like the eighty-five Bears, um, which is a interesting. Couple
1: of years that, that he didn't win it in the past too. He's only won Coach of the Year three times. He definitely that is stunning. Won. He could definitely could have won it more than that. So if he wins one next year because of Brady leaving and they're still you know viable without Brady, I, I think that he's owed one anyways.
0: All right, I know uh, you're working on something for C and Media, uh, and I think it's a fascinating angle. Uh, the Patriots and Belichick trying to do again what they've made a great reputation of doing throughout the years, staying ahead of the curve. This time, it's building a defense to keep pace with the changing looks of the quarterback in the NFL. And Evan, the, the focus here is not just any quarterbacks, but when you, every quarterback I'm about to give you is on the 2020 Patriots schedule. Lamar Jackson once, Pat Mahomes once, Josh Allen twice, Deshaun Watson once, and Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray of the NFC each once. Um, what do you make of that?
1: Well, over half their schedule is against mobile quarterbacks next year. I would say it's not. Who did I leave out? Right now, well, whoever is the quarterback in Miami – if it's going to be Tua at some point, then he is yeah. a guy that's going to run a little bit of an RPO type of scheme like he did at Alabama. And also at the Chargers, Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor, whoever's the starter there by that point in the season, both of those guys can run around a little bit too. So they really are facing a gauntlet. They faced five of the top six rushing quarterbacks from a year ago on the schedule. You named them all. And that's really what they're going up against. And they're also going up against an evolution here of sorts with the league. Everything in football trickles up, right? It starts really at the high school level because high school coaches, we talked about talent not being even across the board. In high school, they might not have any talent. Right, there might not be any talent. So what these high school coaches need to do is they need to get more creative than the pro coaches, and they need to think outside the box. And we've seen coaches that don't punt. We've seen coaches that you know do some sort of all sorts of crazy things. You know, design kind of pitches into their offense to kind of like rugby it down the field almost. And you know, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on at that level of football. And all the good stuff really trickles up. So you get it first at the high school level with the RPOs, with the mobile quarterbacks, with the option plays based built into the offenses then it gets up to the college level and then eventually it gets up to the pros so the pros is always five or so years behind the college level in terms of innovation the college coaches are always way more creative than the pro coaches so a lot of the college coaches at that level you know what we can talk about are already ahead of the curve in terms of how to stop these types of offenses and are doing it successfully
2: As you know by now, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health by starting Awaken 180 Weight Loss. I've already dropped about 18 pounds, and I'm not the only one. Kendrick Perkins is down about 30 pounds, and we're just two of 11,000 who found the solution for weight loss. No gym, no medication, no tricks, or gimmicks. Awaken 18, a combination of science, nutrition, and expert one-on-one coach. If you have weight to lose, I recommend you call Page and her team You'll lose weight starting the first week and each and every week until you get to your ideal weight. Awaken 18, six locations, but during this lockdown, they're starting clients virtually. The same program from the comfort of your home. Simply Zip, log in to awaken180weightloss.com. Fill out the form online and start your weight loss transformation. Awaken 180 Weight Loss, the official weight loss program for the Boston Red Sox.
0: Are you in the camp that believes the NFL is going to make a big adjustment and catch up to Lamar Jackson uh, in his third year? Do you do you think this year uh, a lot of the defenses are going to catch up with what he was doing?
1: I don't know if they're going to catch up to Lamar Jackson necessarily because he is a really unique talent, and he's only going to get better at throwing the football, and if he can get better than he is at it now, then you know it's going to be scary. But I think what they are going to start to catch up on is these schemes that they are running. Now, the Ravens really aren't running a ton of RPO-type stuff. That is an element of their offense, but really what they're doing is old-school, like, veer and wing T-type stuff, where they have three guys plus the quarterback in the backfield a lot of the time, and they're running triple option, they're running zone read, they're running gap read, and they're just kind of doing it like it was the 1960s all over again, you know, pre-kind of, shotgun air raid that type of stuff all before that kind of stuff when the forward pass really became a huge deal this is almost going back to like the 40s and the 50s with with old school football so i'm not sure if they're going to catch up to lamar necessarily but i do think that there is now a full year's worth of tape of this ravens offense all over the place. The Titans had some success with it against defending them in the divisional round. I think there is some hope that at least the league can schematically catch up to what Baltimore is doing.
0: What when you take a look at the Patriots' defense uh, projected for 2020? What are the biggest names that jump out in terms of uh, names and players that are going to be uh, helping Bill Belichick and? Um, Gerard Mayo and Stephen Belichick adjust to the mobile quarterback who who do you think they have added to the roster or who is going to take a step up in, let's say their second or third year and really help the Patriots make the adjustment to the mobile quarterback
1: to me it's the nine safeties that are currently on the roster and that's tied for the most in the NFL and if you look at the last two off seasons last off season they drafted Juwan Williams in the second round and then they signed Terrence Brooks in a free agency this off season same mirroring thing they signed Adrian Phillips another veteran safety and they added Kyle Duggar in the draft and I, I look at all these guys and I see a lot of hybrid players a lot of Patrick Chung like players that can play in the box that can play closer to the line of scrimmage and that can honestly more or less play linebacker right at 225 pounds and what it does is first of all it gives them all sorts of advantages in coverage where they can have line you know instead of linebackers like a Dante Hightower or Juwan Bentley taking the running back or the tight end on a pass route it's now a safety doing that a guy that's much better equipped to handle those coverage responsibilities, but what it's also doing is it's adding more speed to the front seven, so that they can be a little bit faster to their spots and be a little bit quicker on the inside to clean up some of these running plays. And they can also mirror the quarterback, right? And you know, you get Bentley in a foot race with Lamar Jackson, and it's not gonna you know end well. We saw, mean, even, even Jamie Collins get into a foot race with Lamar Jackson on that touchdown, the first touchdown of the game for Baltimore last year, yep. and he got smoked. So get some speed on that field I think is gonna be key and inserting these safeties that they've gotten that are basically just jumbo or you know smaller size jumbo safeties, smaller linebackers like a Chung, like an Adrian Phillips, like a Kyle Duggar potentially that's really where I see them going with this and packing the middle of the field where they're big defensive linemen and the run stuffers and trying to force things out to the perimeter and then turning it into a foot race to the edge where they have these four, four, five safeties chasing these guys instead of these slower linebackers.
0: The issue that you have uh, now in the NFL, and correct me if I'm wrong, Evan, and I'm sure you will, um, a lot of these quarterbacks that can run the RPO can now actually throw the ball accurately deep. That's the problem. If you pull up safeties or you pull up um, even linebackers who would otherwise uh, drop in coverage to cover a tight end and you flood the zones uh, intermediate and deep, you've got big-time holes. And that's where I think a guy like Patrick Patrick Mahomes really excels.
1: Right. Well, so the beauty of these sort of – multiple safety packages, you know, three or more safeties on the field. The Patriots actually played over the half their snaps last year with three or more safeties out there on the field together. And the beauty of it is, is that you can still have a standard structure on the back end where you're either playing too deep or you're playing single high, whatever the coverage call is, it doesn't really matter, but you can still have that deep safety in the back part of the field. And you can also still have those safeties playing linebacker in the box to either handle the mobile quarterback element, to guard a tight end like a Travis Kelsey, to guard a running back out of the backfield like a Le'Veon Bell. So you're not getting those linebackers in those coverage spots you can also do what the patriots do a lot is they play man coverage on the back end cover one like they always do and then they use one of their safeties or one of their defensive backs as a spy on the quarterback in a man coverage situation so they don't have to play zone the entire time because you know last year against baltimore Or they had John Jones playing a spy role on Lamar Jackson. So they have this guy that runs a 4-3, so now you don't need to worry about having all eyes on the quarterback because they do have somebody that can chase and can tackle in the open field, and we know Jones can do that extremely well. So the benefit of having three or more safeties on the field is that, again, you can still have the back-end rotations where you can play cover two, you can play single high, you can do what you want at the back end of the structure And in the front end, you still have that speed and that athleticism to take these pass-catching tight ends and coverage to cover the mobile quarterbacks up and to contain those guys. So I think that's where the Patriots really were starting to head last year. That's sort of where they went with the Brooks signing. And now they've just brought in Phillips and potentially Duggar and now potentially Williams if he can kind of carve out a role at safety corner hybrid type of role as well, where they have a lot of bodies that they can put on the field and be more athletic and really be better equipped to handle RPOs. Because the thing about an RPO is a lot of people are expecting, okay, if you put safeties on the field at linebacker, you're really going to start to carve up. The defense is going to get carved up on the ground because they're losing mass, right? You know, you're losing run stuffing ability. But the reason why it's working is because, mainly with an RPO the quarterback is looking in one direction right and he that's where he's going to look to throw the football he's either reading a player and one side of the field and he's saying okay you know if that guy goes out I'm going to throw the slant or I'm going to throw the quick glance post or whatever it may be or I'm going to hand the ball or I'm going to pull it myself with based off of that read of that individual player but then on the back side of the play if you're not getting looked at, you can do what's called sling the fit, which means you can just basically rush right in and attack the mesh point, which is what the quarterback and the running back doing the, you know, kind of fake handoff or, or give in the backfield that decision-making process. And you have, you gain a defender that way in the box. So there are ways that teams are learning now, especially really looking at the college level of slinging the fit or charging the mesh, which is just basically when you blitz a guy right at that mesh point. Those are the ways that these college teams are handling it, and we're starting to see it trickle up a little bit to the NFL. But the biggest thing is you got to remember is that if you see a quarterback reading an option play, RPO, and he's looking to his right, he can he is not going to throw it left. So the guys on the left side of the field, especially the guys that are playing in the slot or outside linebacker on that side of the field that might have coverage responsibilities, can now get rid of those coverage responsibilities and start attacking the football a little bit more.
0: Alright, let me see. I, two new terms I've learned. Sling the fit and charge yeah. the mesh. Is that correct?
1: Correct. So yes, yeah, sling the fit is what I'm talking about looking, right? The quarterback is looking to his left or his right, and the guy on the opposite side can sling the fit. He can charge in because he knows that he's not going to be thrown at, right? And then charging the mesh is a, basically a run blitz, right? You're sending, you usually a linebacker right up the middle right up the gut to just charge that mesh point and make that decision happen quicker and potentially make a a turnover happen with a fumble or an issue with the handoff or an issue with the exchange and just make that decision dictate where that decision is going to be made either as a defense you can say by charging the mesh you can say you know you're going to hand this ball off because of the way that we're going about this or you're going to throw it and then the defense can, you know, be prepared for it accordingly.
0: I That's, this is why I love having you on. You know that, buddy, right?
1: Yes, yes. I, I've done a lot of homework on the last couple of days on RPOs, if you couldn't tell.
0: Uh, n- no, I could not have tell, uh, told that. Um, obviously being sarcastic and not executing it very well, that's on me. Um, so you're going to be working on that for CLNS Media, right? That's correct. Uh, okay, we're going to wrap up here. What's the biggest mile marker uh, that you you are looking for on the road to a return to football?
1: I would say mini camp and training camp, and just having those things happen. Not they're not going to happen on time because the mini camp should have already happened. You know, might have been this week that Patriots were holding mandatory mini camp if it were on time. So not necessarily on time, but once they start to get the players and the coaches back in there to start training for football with a mini camp, with OTAs, with training camp, then I think we can start talking about the season in a more of a reality. Uh, until that happens, until they can get the players back in the training facilities, you can't just start a football season in a no. week. No. Right? You know, you Obviously. have to have a preseason. You have to have a lead up. So I would say it really starts with those camps
0: and i would also say uh and correct me if i'm wrong but um there will not be the kind of break we've been used to between the end of minicamp and the start of training camp actually in this particular off season you might see one lead right into the other or you might just see a hybrid of the two at this point right
1: right so the the rumor now is or the report now is is that there's they're hoping to get minicamps in by the end of june that's the hope, at least from the league. So we're that looking seems at,
0: optimistic to me. Right. I would look. That would be awesome if that, that were the case. But right. it seems optimistic to me.
1: It does. Here's, and once again, here's the, the, the deal. Guy, you're
0: gonna I, I just, not to cut you off, but no, um, I just want, when, when the football players are back, I want them back. I don't want them back. With hesitations or all of these restrictions in place, because I don't think you're going to have a productive working environment if that's the case. If you have to wait till July and then say by the time July 4th rolls around, maybe make it like it used to be, like Belichick always talks about in 1975. Um, you had training camp begin on July 4th and then they just work powered straight through. Maybe that's what they do this year. I mean, I think there's got to be, consi- you know, thought of going that route as well.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing that you're going to run into there is the players' association is going to not be happy about a six or a seven week training camp, right? That's not going to. That, that's what right. they fought for. Is these all these practice limitations and cutting. Yeah, back but on back,
0: two then, a Evan, had, that back then, you no. had, the, you're not right. going to have two a days. Back then, you had two a days. You're going to be able to to measure this out a lot more carefully and a lot more slowly. Than you did back in the, you know, 60s and 70s where the coaches, you know, really had, um, cracked the whip and really had the foot on the throat of the players. I mean, some would argue certainly the NFL Players Association is still the very weakest of the four major sports, uh, but they've still made strides. And I think, you know, you know, with a modified approach towards a training camp beginning in early July, I, th- I think it could work.
1: I think that Belichick would love it personally, not only because it's kind of a homage or a throwback to what he's used to, but also, you know, when you look at minicamp, to me, the three-day mandatory minicamp is useful, but it's, it's really not football, right? Cause you don't have pads on. No, you, no one's right. hitting anybody. It's not live contact. What they're doing in those sessions is what's called basic. They're installing the basic sets of fundamentals and fundamental plays that are going to be it. the basis of the defense and the offense, right? So we're talking about, you know, this is our base cover one package for the, for the defensive side of the ball. This is our base three, four defense. That's what we're going to be running, right? On the majority of snaps, or or whatever, the most of, right, and it's called basic, and and that's what they do in these passing camps. And there's not a ton of actual strategy. Or actual football going on, it's just basic fundamental and drill work, and I, I think that that's useful and everything. But it's really not until the end of July when they put the pads on, where we really start to get into the competition mode of the of the off season of the summer, and that's when really roster spots are won and battles co- take place, and that's when the the nitty gritty of the of the training camp happens. So I don't necessarily know how they would feel, how kind of necessary the mini camps are this year because they can if they can just kind of give a little bit of a longer lead up to training camp where maybe uh, there's an extra week of training camp, then I think that they can get in all the kind of mini camp stuff in that
0: I would extra agree with week. That. I, I see that's the that's exactly the side I fall in on is that sure the mini camps are great when you have a, a traditional off season, but without the off season uh, that they've had and uh, given the fact that uh, nothing is normal, I think every, I think both sides just want to get to the point where they feel safe that they can hold, um, you know, a 16 game season and then the playoffs. And you know, if it means um, really shortening the off season uh, mini camps and and um, other things that the OTAs, then I think they'll they'll, they'll buy into that.
1: It's a bummer because it's no matter what they do and no matter what we do as a society, there's going to be a risk, right? There's going to be risk involved in all these athletes absolutely back to sports. So that, it's really just going to be a matter of weighing the pros and cons of those risks for these leagues. What I'm most concerned about or most interested in learning is how these leagues, like the NFL, are preparing themselves for if somebody gets the coronavirus. And is it has a positive test. Let's say somebody on the Patriots tests positive for coronavirus. What does that mean for the other 52 guys on the team? Right. And what does that mean for the whole season and for the whole, you know, makeup of the whole thing is, you know, because you could get into a situation pretty easily where the coronavirus, unfortunately, could go through an entire team. And that's the worst case scenario. So I'm just very interested to see how they're going to handle positive tests. Is that going? Are they going to have things in in place where they can have a positive test and we can still have a season afterwards, or is one positive test or two positive tests like with the bat, you know, with the NBA with Rudy Gobert? Once the ja- once the Jazz tested positive, the league stopped. Right, and and that's yeah. my question is once you get it all ramped up and you get all these guys into camp and you get everything going you know are there contingencies in place where they can have a positive test not derail the entire season
0: well first of all you've got to have the sufficient amount of testing so that if players are positive but if they're asymptomatic and they've been quarantined they can just go ahead and play because that's what will really open up all of these leagues is if these players are asymptomatic and they've been quarantined, then I think you can expose them. And and there's, you know, little to no risk at that point. And until you have the testing in place, you're not going to be able to do that. So I'm, uh, I'm just hopeful that we can get an NFL season in Evan.
1: Me too. I mean, I'm clamoring for it already. I, mini camp and training camp, as you know, is one of my favorite times of the year, probably my favorite time of the year because we do get, the most access that we ever get to these guys is during those months. You know, when we get to watch practice, we get to talk to a lot more of the players face-to-face. So uh, I'm really hoping that we still be are be able to attend those practices and share what we see with people.
0: Stay safe, my man. You too. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Evan Lazar, as always. He covers the Patriots and the NFL for CLNSmedia.com. Also, want to thank our great sponsor, Awaken 180, for producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat podcast, powered by CLNS Media.